Today, answers matter more than ever before. That's why IBM is helping businesses manage customer questions with Watson Assistant. It's conversational AI designed to work for any industry. Let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash Watson Assistant. Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're here in the middle of the virtual offseason. With the virtual offseason, that means virtual interviews. That's what's going on these days. We spoke to Joe Judge this week, Saquon Barkley, Daniel Jones, Dalvin Tomlinson. We'll get to what came out of those in a little bit. But let's turn that back the clock just to drop to the end of last week when the schedule came out. The NFL schedule came out. Each team has their own individual schedule. The Giants have their schedule. Now the NFL hopes, I think everybody hopes, that this can go off without a hitch. And the schedule that was laid out, is the one that they're going to be able to play. But really nobody knows. Nobody knows how we're going to be able to proceed right now. We're all still speculating or guesstimating at this point. Now, the NFL, they do have the benefit of seeing how what happens with other sports. International soccer, they're about to get going overseas. I think everyone will be watching that to see if the how, see how that goes off, see what problems they encounter there, if they encounter any problems at all, if they're able to execute games, without fans, TV broadcasts, all this stuff. So we all hope the Giants can play the schedule as is, but nobody really knows. Now you'd say, why is it that the New York Giants, who stunk last year, 4-12, and bad team, fourth worst team in the league, right? Fourth pick in the draft. Why is their schedule so tough this year? I mean, you could go and you can look and depending on who you who speak with or who you look at, the Giants' schedule is on the harder end. Probably like a top 10 hard, you know, strength of schedule in, in regards to difficulty. And there's a lot of reasons for that, but it's just the way it, the cookie crumbles. It's not that the league doesn't like the Giants, because everybody says that. Oh, the league doesn't like my team. Uh, Joe Buck doesn't like my team. He, he's a giant hater. He's a this hater. He hates every team. Of course. that's a, Every team has that view, but it's not that way. First of all, there's a formula for the schedule, okay? And the formula says they play the NFC West this year, and the NFC West is a better division this year. They play the AFC North. The AFC North is not a bad division either. The only team that's really probably projected to have a losing record is the Bengals, and we all assume they'll probably be better now that they have Joe Burrow at quarterback. Still not good, but a little bit better. So the Giants are playing those divisions, and then they're out of division games. They end up, okay, they're playing teams that finished in the, in the same spot as they did in the standings. So the Giants finished in third place in the NFC East. That means they play the third-place team in the NFC North, which happens to be the Chicago Bears, who are a pretty good team. They had a down year last year, though. So they finished third. So the Giants get them on the road, week two. The Giants get the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, finished third in the AFC South. I'm sorry, NFC South. Oh, yeah. It just so happens the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are a greatly improved team, right? They added Tom Brady. They got Rob Rob. Gronkowski. Did I call him Bronkowski? Rob Gronkowski. Their defense was improved last year. Uh, they got some interesting pieces in the draft, right? They traded up and got Tristan Wirfs. Good spot for him. People said, including me, thought Wirfs had a chance to go number four to the Giants. He ends up going, I think it was number 12, 13, to the Bucks. So the Bucks are going to be a good team. So just the way the cookie crumbled for the Giants this year, the schedule's pretty tough. First three weeks, first two weeks, let's be honest, at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers, Monday night. Monday night game at home. 
against a team that's pretty good. Not great. If the Giants are any good, if you're even a 500 team, that's a, that's a game you probably win. On the road against the Bears. Got to win one of those two games, week one and two. Right? Then they play San Francisco. Then they play at LA against the Rams. I'm not that high on the Rams this year. And then they come to, so that's the first four weeks. Weeks five through ten. How about this? Dallas, at Dallas versus Washington, at Philly on a Thursday night, at home against Tampa on a Monday night, at Washington versus Philly. So that's one, two, three, four, five division games in a six-week span. And the other game being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at home on a Monday night. Giants, by the way, have two home Monday night games. You know the last time they had two home Monday night games? Guess the last time they had two home Monday night games. The answer is never. Never. So two home Monday night games. a big advantage of playing at home. There's an even bigger advantage if you add that to that that they're playing in a primetime game. So those are very winnable games. I know the Bucks are going to be a tough game, but the Steelers in week one, if the Giants are a, even a decent team, you got the momentum of a of a first-year first head coach, his opener, everyone's pumped up. I think that's a game the Giants win. So as long as they split those two and split San Francisco, the Rams, and you're sitting at 2-2, two and two, you're in all right shape. To me, and I think they could do that, and I think they probably will do that, to me, the key to their season is weeks 5 through 10, where they play at Dallas versus Washington at Philadelphia on a Thursday night, which is a really hard game on the road, right? They can't beat the Eagles. Have beat the Eagles in, since Ben McAdoo was the head coach. Ben McAdoo! Ben McAdoo was the head coach in 2016. The last time the Giants had a winning record and made the playoffs. So that's a tough game. At Dallas, which is a tough game to start the stretch. Okay, so then they have Washington. They, they could win Washington at home. It's at MetLife. Then at Philadelphia, tough one. Not Probably not winning that game, Thursday night game. Ten days off, play again at home against the Bucks. Let's say they lose that game, okay? So now they're sitting at, they just lost uh, three out of four. So now they're three and five with games at Washington and versus Philadelphia. Got to split one of those games, you're four and six, and you beat the Bengals, you're five and six. Not terrible. I think it's doable, but that's assuming they could beat the Redskins twice. And it's not assuming that they can win any of these tough games on the road in the division. So I haven't been able to do that recently. So until I see it, I'm not going to be a believer that they could do it. Dallas, better team than them. Better talent than them. We'll get to that in a few minutes. So our special guest is going to break down uh, projections for the Giants and some of the NFC East teams. we got the great Mike Clay coming up. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be good. Promise you. So at Dallas, tough. At Philly, tough. At home against Tampa, tough. So this schedule is going to be tough. And then let's say the Giants actually do get through that. They get through the whole first half of the season. They're, they're in the playoff hunt. The close of the season, they're trying to, let's say they're trying to make the playoffs versus Cleveland. Cleveland should be a little bit better this year. Even when they weren't good last year, they were what? Seven and nine? Eight and eight? So they're not a bad team. And then Baltimore and at Baltimore and then versus Dallas. So even if they're, they are respectable and they are hanging around, the closing stretch is going to be another tough one. So the schedule overall, does not have any real lulls, right? Here's the games which I think are totally winnable for the Giants. Start off the season, Pittsburgh, Chicago, I think those are winnable games. San Francisco, probably not. At the Rams, eh, maybe winnable. At Dallas, probably not. Washington, yes. At Philly, probably not. Versus Tampa, that's a tough one. They could win it, but that's a tough one. At Washington, you could win. And versus Philly, it's going to be another tough one. Bengals, winnable. At Seattle, I mean, very unlikely they win that game. Versus Arizona, winnable. And then versus Cleveland, probably winnable. Then at Baltimore, that's probably an L. And then Dallas, versus Dallas, if Dallas is what people think they are, 
probably going to be a tough game to win. So there's no like extended stretch. So to me, people are like, oh, the opening stretch is brutal. Pittsburgh, Chicago, San Francisco, Rams. First three teams especially. Pressure the quarterback. Pass rush. Brutal. Right. I agree. Tough one for the offensive line. But those are, that's their, probably their most winnable stretch. So if the Giants don't come out of that stretch two and two, forget about it. They're destined for another terrible season. So that, that'll be, it'll be really interesting. Can they get out of that stretch two and two? And then if they want to be a real contender, which I think most of us think is probably a stretch right now, we'll see how they do against those, that, what, six game stretch with five against division rivals and the other being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that's my takeaways on the schedule. As far as hearing from Joe Judge this week, I thought it was really notable that he talked about there being contingencies for potentially moving training camp. And I think this is possible because we're in an area of the country, and I'm, I'm talking about we in, in, in regards to being in New Jersey, where this area of the country is among the hardest hit by the coronavirus. And while we do expect things to get better in the short term, what if there's setbacks along the way? What if this area becomes a hot spot again? Moving it to another area of the country, I think, or another state, is seems reasonable. I mean, given the conditions, it's unlikely. They'll only do it if it's absolute emergency. They have no other option. But it seems likely if that's the case. What are the what are the other options? If if forty five of the states in our country are open and and reasonably safe, where they can go and they can practice and play football, and everyone can feel like their health isn't at risk, then the teams that are in the areas, it only makes sense. The teams that are in the areas that are at higher risk would move to another another state, another portion of the country. It's not ideal. It's not great for business. There's a lot of downside to it. There's so many things that come into play in regards to the teams being able to operate in training camp. But look, they did it for years. Years, right? The Giants were in Albany. The Jets were in Hofstra. The Eagles were in uh, Lehigh. I mean, there's ways to do it in other parts of the country if they need to. Now, the the equipment and the all the capabilities, the enough room for the medical staff, the players, uh, room and board, food, all these things are considerations. But if they want to make it work, and that's the only option, they can do it and they will. Okay. Now, Daniel Jones, we talked to him. He mentioned he's in Charlotte right now with his three siblings. But what I did think was pretty interesting was that he's able to throw. And this is big. Because, yes, most guys are just working out, maybe get out to a field, stand out there by yourself. But a quarterback, you need to get that arm throwing. So he's not in the backyard just throwing to his, you know, two sisters and brother or whatever. He's out there, and because of the regulations in Charlotte and North Carolina at this time, he's out there throwing with some receivers, some real-type receivers, people who played in college, people who uh, were either former or current college players. So he's got a QB coach down there. So Daniel Jones is getting his work in. That's good. Now we asked him about the playbook, and I thought this is the same with Saquon Barkley. Here's what we know about this Giants team. Now I wrote a story about it. It's going to publish this week. The Giants offense is going to look like the Dallas Cowboys offense. This is Jason Garrett's offense. Now we thought it was going to be Jason Garrett's offense, but now when we hear it, we know it's going to be Jason Garrett's offense. Daniel Jones is Dak Prescott and Tony Romo. Even they reached out to Daniel Jones, even had a conversation with Tony Romo. Plans to talk to him some more to learn about this offense. Saquon Barkley is going to be there, Ezekiel Elliott. That's what the Giants bought when they hired Jason Garrett, for better or worse. Now, you could say Jason Garrett wasn't a great head coach and you have your problems with him, and I agree. Jason Garrett was not a great head coach. 
he squandered way too much talent in Dallas to not have significant playoff success over that extended period of time. Okay? Let's get that out of the way. But it doesn't mean he's a terrible offensive coach. There's a lot to like. I mean, they were number one in the league last year in offense. And you can't just say, oh, it was uh, Kellen Moore's offense. It wasn't his. Come on. If you're going to blame Jason Garrett for things, you have to give him credit for others. He was He's part of that offense. He created the basis of that offense. Now, Kellen Moore might have came and made some alterations, but Jason Garrett was there. And he saw those alterations. He green-lighted them. He's going to probably bring them with him to the Giants, you would think. So this is what the Giants' offense is going to look like. You're going to see the linemen out, pulling, getting out in screens, moving more, running backs, getting to the outside, which you think would be great, right? Which would be great for Saquon Barkley. Because if you get Saquon Barkley in open space, guess what? It's over. It's over. So that's encouraging. You think about, wow, Saquon Barkley, get him out more to the outside. Get him in space. I think we're going to see more of that. We're going to see a lot of timing patterns. And if there's one thing I know about Daniel Jones, it's that he's smart. He could pick things up quickly. I like the idea of Daniel Jones in a timing offense. I like it a lot. I don't love the idea of Daniel Jones not being able to throw to his receivers and going out and executing the offense in the spring, but that's the hand everyone's been dealt. So that's where we stand. They also asked Saquon Barkley about his uh, opinion of Christian McCaffrey's contract, which is interesting because we all know Saquon Barkley's going to want his money, and he's going to want it next year before it's too late because every year you play, every game you play as a running back, you're putting yourself at risk. It's a dangerous position. Saquon saw this this past year, hurt his ankle. He wasn't the same. What if he does that again this year? Then all of a sudden his value in stock is down. So he doesn't. if he has a good year this year, if he has that money available to him, that mega deal, he's going to push for it. He's going to want it. He might not say it publicly because he likes he says the right things publicly, but trust me, he's going to want his money. It's the smart thing to do. It's a smart business decision. At running back, there's, there's one thing you do. You get that money while you can, and you don't wait because they'll use you until you're not usable anymore and then throw you to the curb. I mean, that's essentially what happened with the Steelers and Le'Veon Bell, right? They really weren't didn't want to pay him. They were kind of stretching him out. They paid him a little bit. He was still getting paid, but they were stretching him out till they got to the point where they were just going to go and dump him. And Saquon Barkley also was close with Todd Gurley, so he saw it happen with Todd Gurley. Todd Gurley got his money, thank God, for Todd Gurley. Then his knee flared up. And interesting note is Todd Gurley was a guy who the Giants had flagged before that draft. So I found it interesting because they thought he was a great player. But actually, he was flagged before that draft. So, so Saquon saw the Christian McCaffrey deal, and he says. So saying all the right things this is what Saquon does. He says, look, my job is to concentrate on myself, get better and do what I do, take it step by step of what's in front of me, get better every day, and everything else will take care of itself in the future. So that is where the Giants stand right now. We'll see. They're going through virtual meetings. We'll still we'll hear a little bit more you know, drips here and there over the next few weeks, over the next few months about what this team might look like, what they might be. But to get a better feel of that right now, it's all a projection. So let's go to Mr. Projection himself, Mike Clay. On to the next one. Let's talk to Mike Clay now, ESPN, NFL, and fantasy football analyst. Always puts out every year, puts out projections pretty much for every player uh, that's sort of relevant on every team. You could find it. Mike, where can you find it? I mean, I, I know we can find it on Twitter, but where, where else can we find it? 
Yeah, I share it on social once in a while, but uh, we actually just put together kind of this handy PDF that you can get uh, over at ESPN.com. Um, there, we have Cheat Sheet Central on, in the fantasy section, and we have a bunch of cheat sheets there, and that's where we have it stored right now. So, uh, yeah, uh, projections for the entire NFL in one little PDF. So, I, or I shouldn't say little, I guess, right? There's a lot of pieces. Right, yes. but, um, but it's this all in depth. That, that's, that's the thing. This is in depth. This isn't just, you know, here's your your fantasy guys. You're running back and you're, you're – you know, two, three wide receivers, your tight end, your quarterback, you go, you know, you have projections for pretty much the entire, every defensive player. Uh, you're going, you're going down to everything, you know, win total and you grade each, you, you know, each unit and you have, uh, basically a formula that you work on that you work and you, I'm sure you tweak every year. Yeah, that's exactly right. I spend a lot of time right when the season ends preparing for the next season, looking at league trends. And obviously you, there's, there's player personnel, coaching personnel, the changes and all that stuff requires quite a bit of research, not to mention the dozens and dozens of categories that I'm projecting here all the way down to punters, you know, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot to it, but, um, you know, it's, it's a process I enjoy and, uh, I'm, I'm just glad I have a, a place here I could share it. What's what's like some of the biggest tweaks this year? That maybe that that things have changed that you you sort of looked into and you wanted to make sure that was accounted for in your rankings. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't think it was a a significant year, right? It's always like little tweaks, right? Like maybe you see the league trending towards more pass heavy, or maybe uh, you know more plays per game, more snaps per game as offenses get faster. Uh, maybe it's the share of targets that goes to the wide receiver position as teams use more. 11 personnel, things like that. Um, but, you know, in terms of actual uh, tweaks for this year, you know, you look at things like place per game was is about where it's been the past couple of years. Pass rate was the exact same number between 2018 and 2019. Um, field goals were down a little bit. So maybe that, you know, that's a mark that the total field goal uh, production will be down a little bit from past seasons. But again, touchdowns were the same. Uh, the percentage of touchdowns that were passes was down a tiny bit from last year. So I'm, I basically uh, kind of chart those out and see which way the league is trending for sure. And uh, so this year I'll probably have uh, a slight, I would say a slight uptick in overall offensive scoring based on the way the league has trended over the past decade or so. But um, nothing, nothing major, honestly. Uh, it's just, it was pretty, uh, pretty much a, your same old NFL season aside of early on when all the road teams were winning games, but that kind of leveled itself out, fixed itself in the second half. Right. Well, we'll, we'll go big picture. We'll start here. Okay. So you have the giants projected at 6.4 wins. Uh, really they're only favored in three games. Uh, we have Washington, Washington and home against Arizona. They're, they're a coin flip against Cleveland at home as well. So, you know, three games where they're, they're favored, one as sort of a coin flip by probability, and the rest of them, they're underdogs. So where, and, and you have their strength of schedule at 29. That's so, it, it, explain the strength of schedule there. Yeah, that would be fourth hardest in the NFL. So that's part of why their record's a little lower than maybe where fans would like it to be. But, uh, which is NFL strange is- though, because they were one of the worst teams in the league. How did they, is this, yeah. this isn't just by win loss record. This is by, the win projection for the other teams as well, right? Yeah, and, and keep in mind, um, you know, a couple of things. First of all, only two games are determined by uh, your win loss record, right? So, um, you know, a lot of it's right, going to happen. A lot of it has to do with the divisions you're up against in the NFC East has a tough schedule. The Eagles, I have 24th. The Redskins, I have 30th. Dallas actually comes in 12th, which um, part of that is they don't have to play themselves. And I think the Cowboys are pretty good on paper. Right. Um, and they play but, the NFC West, which is a good division. 
Yes. Really good division. Yes, absolutely, especially with the Cardinals trending up. I think the, the Rams trending down, but you know the, the Niners and Seahawks are going to be good, and, and the Cardinals could be very good for all we know. It depends on uh, what Kyler Murray brings to the table. So absolutely correct. Um, and the other thing is I don't use last year's record. You know, that's uh, an, an outdated way of thinking. We don't. We have more information now. We don't need to do that. So why, why on earth would you evaluate the Patriots as a 12 and four team when considering right. a, a team schedule. It's just a complete waste of time. Same thing with Tampa Bay. They're not a seven nine team on paper. I think in most people's minds. So uh, for sure, I'm using my current ratings. And as mentioned, I'm keeping these rosters updated all the time, constantly evaluating, doing unit grade analysis, as I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about. Uh, and, and that's how I determine strength of schedule. So it's not really. Yeah, like they, they play the Steelers to start. And then the, the Bucks, those are two of the teams that they have to play this year. Those two teams have, like, the Steelers didn't have Ben Roethlisberger yeah. last year. They now have Ben Roethlisberger, so they're probably a better team. The Bucks have Tom Brady, so they're probably a better team, right? Uh, the Bears didn't make the playoffs last year, but they're, they're considered, they're still considered a pretty good team. So I, I guess yeah. that's how you end up with one of the hardest schedules in the league, despite being one of the worst teams in the league last year. That's exactly that's exactly correct. Yeah, I, I definitely think a lot about uh, a lot of the Steelers this season. So that's an excellent example of what I'm talking about. Not to mention the Bucks. Even going on the road to play uh, Cincinnati. I mean, that's a team that I know what talking about, but their offense is pretty good shape. Their defense they improved pretty substantially in the off season. Like they're not going to be a pushover like in past right. years. They're so, an improved uh, team from what they were last year for sure. Exactly, exactly. So I'm not going to treat them like a, what was their record? Were they 2-14 and 14 last year? You know, I'm I not, I'm not evaluating that, that way. Yeah, exactly. All right, so <clears throat> you mentioned it before. Well, first of all, so the 6.4 wins, that's 25th? Is that? Uh, what, yeah, that would, yeah, that would, what, uh, yeah, that would have them picking in, in the top 10 again. What, what range teams are, is that in with? Like, I mean, what, where would you put the, where do the Giants fall? in your projections of, of like, okay, here's like this category of team. Like what, what kind of teams are in there? Is that like, is that like the Arizona range or is Arizona still probably above that now? Um, I think it's in that vicinity, uh, you know, much like the giants, I think the Cardinals defense still has, has work to do right up front. They're, they're fantastic. I think the giants, uh, obviously that's a place that they have prioritized. Uh, but, you know, you still have plenty of question mark areas behind that spot. So in terms of my unit grades where the roster actually comes in, the Giants fall 24th. That's one spot ahead of the Cardinals. It's ahead of the Jets. Honestly, this is going to be sound shocking, but it's ahead of the Patriots. They lost a lot of talent, and they have wow. actually the worst quarterback situation in the NFL ahead of the Bears. So you're talking uh, right in the range of the Chargers who are loaded on defense, the Rams, the Raiders, the Bengals, you know, kind of in that vicinity, I think, is right. where the Giants roster is. But let's be honest, I mean – it, it's going to come down to Daniel Jones. I mean, again, we'll get into it, but if he makes yes. a big leap, this is going to be too low. If he struggles, this is going to be maybe too high. Yeah, oh, absolutely. The Giants are going to be as good as Daniel Jones is in their offense. They, they're going to rely on their offense this year because you look at these unit grades, okay? And offensively, I mean, you, you color code them, right? So pink is is pretty strong. These are... Out of five, out of four or five. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's zero to four. So zero think to about four, like so a GPA. Think of it like a GPA, right? So yeah, so green. The darker the green, the better. The darker the red, the worse. Right. So running back, they're especially strong because they have Saquon. They're three point eight out of four. And then you have quarterback. You have them at one point six, and wide receiver one point nine. Offensive line two point one. Those are in in the pink ranges. And then you have tight end at two point eight as well. So all of those. In pretty good shape, offensively, right. each position group, which then would 
naturally say, okay, you think that the offense is going to be pretty good. Yeah, I think it, it comes in. It comes in around average, right? Um, you know, the, I think the wide receiver rating probably seems low, but you have to remember a lot of teams are completely stacked at receiver. It's just a very talented position, so that's probably right. why that might seem lower than you would like. But I like the the way the offensive line is trending. I think uh, I think there's room for more. Like some offenses, you grade and you're like, this is the ceiling, right? A lot of veterans, but then you look at the Giants and you say, well. You know, there's there's guys that this could really come together. This guy could take a leap, you know, and and it could be a very good group, including Daniel Jones. And not to mention that last season, you know, there's there's skill position players played zero games together. I don't even know if some Giants fans realize that the yeah, Barkley, Slayton, yeah, uh, um, Shepard, and Ingram Golden played zero Tate, games together, yeah. and that's not even including Daniel Jones. So, uh, you know, this could really come together. And and by the way, I should mention this too. Despite that, they were above average in, in touchdown scoring. So. Uh, there's there's definitely room uh, for this unit to be better than even I have it graded. Yeah, their downfall last year was they were just Daniel Jones was a turnover machine. Yeah. Uh, so, do you see? I mean, you have him at 25 touchdowns, 13 interceptions, 3,729 yards, which is pretty good in 15 games. So you, you take into account that you know yeah. there's there's injuries in this game, and not everybody plays 16 games. So those are those are pretty good stats. So what what do you see? And like, okay, he's in his second year, right? What's the natural progression that you see from year one to year two usually? Yeah, and and you know, there's often that debate of when when do players make the leap, right? Like, right. often you'll see running backs step right in and they're fine. They're impact players right away, especially first rounders. Tight ends take till perhaps year three sometimes. Uh, quarterbacks, you see the biggest jump in statistics in terms of rate stats from year one to two, right? So it's fine with me that Jones had a lot of turnovers last year, right? I mean, is it ideal? Right. No, but that's okay. He's a rookie. You know, I would rather him come out firing and try to make plays uh, as a rookie and learn kind of on the fly than come out and just be, you know, super conservative and just throw to his running backs and yeah. play it safe. I would assume there's a natural regression in regards to turnovers for quarterbacks from first to second year. No no question. An improvement in yards per attempt, an improvement in, in completion rate, you know, less less uh, – uh, non-aimed passes, if you will, like throwaways, you know, just, just uh-huh. learning the offense and getting better, not to mention that he adds value with his legs. I mean, there's really a lot to like here. And I know some people out there that, you know, are, are very hard on, on him because of what they saw last season. But again, as rookie seasons go, it was pretty good. So I'm optimistic about Daniel Jones. And I think the supporting cast is in place for him to make a leap in his second season. You talk about that supporting cast. And this is what I find pretty interesting is I, I go, you go to wide receivers, right? And you look, Sterling Shepard, 109 targets. Golden Tate, 104 targets. Darius Slayton, 93 targets. And then they're all between, you know, Golden Tate is the highest at 802 yards, and Slayton's the lowest of the three at 777 yards, all in the five, six touchdown range. You have them really, those are three guys really closely grouped. I mean, that, that, how rare is that? Uh, I'm sure it won't be that close by season's end, but you have to hedge because you don't know. Like, just how good is Darius Slayton? We saw him score touchdowns and bunches as a rookie, but he also disappeared for a lot of games as well. Uh, not to mention that a, lar- a big part of his playing time is the fact that there was injuries all around him on the depth chart. So, I mean, you might disagree with my numbers, but sit down and try to distribute, uh, you know, a reasonable amount of targets into this offense. It's hard to keep everyone happy, which is a good problem for the Giants. But a right, because we didn't mention Evan Ingram yet either. <laughs> Yeah, right. We didn't even get an Ingram, right? Who I have a 98 targets who's right in that same, uh, same area. So yeah, I think they're going to be close. I think they have, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of times you hear play callers say they want to spread the ball around to a bunch of different guys, keep the defense guessing. Well, guess what? The Giants are in great position to do exactly that. And that's what I think the plan is going to be. 
With Slayton, do you look at it? He had eight touchdown receptions in 84 targets. That's a really high touchdown rate. Yep. Uh, is, is that a realistic rate? Do guys usually fall off of that number? Is, is it something that they can maintain that they improve on? What do you, when you see that, what do you, what do you, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, it's guaranteed to regress to the mean 99%. I mean, it, it, I've done a ton of research on in this department, and guys just can't sustain anything close to that. Uh, you had a 10% touchdown rate, as you mentioned, eight touchdowns, 80 targets. It just doesn't happen, uh, and it doesn't matter how good he is, right? It's not a knock on his talent. Now, here's the thing. If he plays a full-time role and he sees more targets and he gets into the hundreds and he's a threat, he's used a lot near the goal line, he can get back to eight touchdowns, but – it's not going to come with such a, a minimal role in terms of targets. He's going to have to play more. Uh, but again, I don't think I'm saying anything crazy there. I think we, we all know that they, again, they're going to be healthier. They're going to have more people to target. And uh, it doesn't mean he's less of a player. It's kind of like last year with Patrick Mahomes, right? And this year with Lamar Jackson, mm-hmm. like the numbers can go down. It doesn't mean they played worse. It's just how statistics work. It's, it's just math. So uh, it's not a knock on slinging. Obviously he flashed very well as a rookie and and the ceiling is perhaps very high there but uh, again we should realistically expect the touchdown total to come down a little bit you have Saquon Barkley at 1160 yards in 14 games with nine touchdowns I actually was asked to do an over under it was 1249 yards rushing and I took the I took the over for Saquon now of course you have here 14 games I'm I took the over but I'm I would be in that case betting on 16 games mm-hmm. and going on basically what I looked at is, okay, Zeke, when he played with the Cowboys and Garrett's offense, every year he played a full season. Remember, he was suspended that one year. I, you you kind of can't count that because of the games. He finished with over 1,300 yards with a yards per carry total of really less than what Saquon had his first two years with the Giants who have an inferior offensive line. So give me an idea of, where 1160 yards falls in and, and how you kind of got to that number. Yeah. And, and I'm going to be conservative. I'm, you know, we do player props too quite often throughout the year. And, uh, you know, I was actually just researching this topic for exactly that. And, and look, I, I don't have any running backs projected over 14 games. It's just something I've learned the hard way doing projections over the past decade is you can't count on it. And it's too risky to take an over on a, on a number that high, they almost never hit. So, that's right. why I'm at 1160 in 14 games. I do have the over on the rushing touchdowns, though. I think he'll bounce back there. I'm at 9.4. So uh, that one feels a little scary, too, going over 8.5. But I like the situation for Barkley. Uh, keep in mind, last year, yeah, he was hurt and he missed a few games. But he still averaged over 4.5 yards per carry, which is good. His 16-game pace was 1234. That was even below uh, what this line is. Now, I do think there'll be more balance, as you said. Uh, under under uh, Jason Garrett here, they were past at the offense last season. But – you know, you have to count on that. You have to count on 16 games played. You have to count on that good efficiency again, uh, which isn't a guarantee if you, you know, if he is a little injured or the offensive line gets injured. So uh, a couple things uh, to keep in mind there. I do think, though, uh, as for the touchdowns, you know, here's the thing. The, the uh, 2019 Giants were above average in passing near the goal line and their percentage of touchdowns or passes at 74%. Jason Garrett's have been below average each of the past four seasons, and obviously Barkley – is easily their biggest back, 230 pounds. You know, Deion Lewis is a new backup. He's 195. So that's why I think Barkley's touchdown total will be higher this season. But, again, I wouldn't count on the over 1250 in the yardage barring a completely healthy season. 
Yeah, there's still no threat to, Sa- to Saquon Barkley. Like, I, like, right. Deion Lewis, fine, he's their backup, but he, first of all, they guaranteed him zero dollars. He's not even guaranteed to make the team right now, right? So right. you still have, it's still Deion Lewis, Wayne Gallman, and Saquon Barkley. There's no one threatening Saquon Barkley for any share of those carries. I mean, I really just don't see it. I know you have Joe Judge who comes over from New England and they've always had all these backs, but they also didn't have the number two overall pick on their roster. So it, it looks like the Giants are going to use him in a similar way that they had these past two years. They're, they're not going to be shy. They're going to use him as a goal line. They're going to use him on third down. I, I don't see him, his playing time getting cut. So, uh, yeah, that, that, those numbers it, with what Garrett does should benefit him. Uh, Evan Ingram. You have 98 targets, 63 receptions, 689 yards. It seems that we're at the point with the Evan Ingram progression where he, you, you get what you see, right? He is what he is. Are you kind of in that boat as well? Well, here's the thing. <clears throat> and, and, again, Giants fans listening, you know, know this. You know this. Uh, when he plays, he's effective, right? I mean, he was one of only a handful of players in the league last season. In fact, only six who appeared in at least games in at least eight games and were targeted at least six times in every game last season. So they use him a lot when right. he's healthy. The problem is, you know, he's missed 14 to 48 games. So when is he going to be out there? Can he count on him for a full season? And, you know, I think the answer is possibly, you know, sometimes we see players have a couple of years where they can't stay on the field and then suddenly they're, they're able to turn it around and they miss one game over five seasons. So I'm not really counting him out on playing a full season, but I did knock him a little bit for it because it's been a problem so far. So, uh, still like him a lot. Tons of uh, talent, tons of ability, and again, when he's healthy, he's a huge factor. So uh, I put together some pretty, pretty decent numbers for him. I think sixty-four for six ninety and five touchdowns. That would be a pretty darn good season. Yeah, I mean, he he was on pace to being close to that thousand yard range, or you know, last year after like six games or whatever. But then obviously the injuries slowed him down, and that's like you said, that's that's been part of the problem there with, with him. So. Uh, it's kind of what, what you're dealing with when you're talking about Evan Ingram and the Giants. I mean, that's the same with Sterling Shepard. There's an injury risk there, probably more than than you'd like with with most guys. And same with Evan Ingram. And they, they've had that throughout their career. I mean, Sterling Shepard has the concussions. It's something I'm sure you have to factor in when you're when you're going through these progressions. Yeah, no doubt. And he, it's funny. I mentioned there were six players who were targeted at least six times in every game last season. While two of them were on the Giants. One was Ingram. One was Shepard. So, uh, right. same kind of thing. I mean, he was, uh, they got him the ball quite a bit last season. So I have him at, uh, 70, a little over 70 catches, 789 yards, six touchdowns. Uh, obviously he's arguably their number one receiver. And I think he's, I think he's an underrated player, right? And, and perhaps he's underrated because of the injuries and, uh, you know, the, the other mouths they have to feed in that offense. Obviously all, all eyes are on Saquon Barkley, but. He's a pretty good player, and, and you know, they've, they fell down a, a decent trio here with Golden Tate, who's still electric with the ball in his hands, and we already talked about Slayton and the vertical element he brings. So uh, I like the trio. So offensively, you're pretty high on the Giants, fairly high. I mean, you know, the, you, you see you see at least a quality unit. Defensively is where things kind of start to dip, okay? Mm-hmm. We have our unit grades. Let's go over them real quick. The interior of the defense you have is very strong. 3.4, one of the strongest units on the team. The Giants are heavily invested there. We know they have a first-round pick from last year in Dexter Lawrence. They have uh, Leonard Williams, who's playing on the franchise tag at $16 million. Uh, they have Dalvin Tomlinson, who's a quality player. They have B.J. Hill, who was a third-round pick a couple of years ago, who could play a little bit. So interior, you're very high on. Edge rush, 
the lowest of any position for the Giants. Probably not surprising to anybody who's following the Giants. 0.1 uh, uh, inside linebacker. You have 1.4. That's probably up from because they added Blake Martinez compared to what they had in the past. Cornerback, 0.6. Still pretty low. I'm curious about that. And safety, 1.3. So take us through those, uh, kind of how you got to those and, and what played the major factors in those unit grades. Yeah, not a lot to say up front. I mean, we know they're stacked there. No no question about it. You like that situation. Lots of pedigree, lots of talent, lots of depth. Uh, but again, after that, depth becomes a, a major issue. You know, we've been talking about what for – since I've known you about the edge rushing problem, they just <laughs> refuse to address it. So, uh, you know, we'll see if they make another move there. Um, I'd like to see them do something aggressive and find themselves an edge rusher. I, so, but, you know, for now. I have that tender not, out there for Marcus Golden. So it is possible yes. that he comes back we, we, if, if he can't get a better offer. So it's not yeah. out of the question. Yeah, and that'll certainly bump the grade a little bit, but still, uh, relative to the rest of the NFL, which, I mean, let's let's be honest, the league is stacked with edge-rushing talent right now. Uh, yeah. it's, it's still going to be a weak grade. So that's a, a, a scary area. They're going to be looking for a lot of pass-rush help from Leonard Williams and up front. That's going to be big for this team uh, this season. Uh, you mentioned Blake Martinez. Yeah, he's a, 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 an innings eater, if you will. I mean, he's going to play pretty much every snap. He's, a, he's an okay player uh, in his prime. I think it was a, a nice addition just because they've had – such a problem in that spot. And of course, David Mayo has been a nice find for them as well. Uh, so they're, you know, they're okay. A little below average in that department. Now corner, look, I love James Bradbury. I think he's going to really bloom now because you look at his time and I was actually, ju- I'm work- I just filed an article on this uh, and I was, I was working on uh, Bradbury mm-hmm. and 21%, 21% of his career coverage snaps have come against Mike Evans, Julio Jones, and Michael Thomas. Like, that's not even fair. I mean, <laughs> the guy was in a brutal situation. That's not even including including some of the other tough matchups he's had, like a, a Brandon Cooks at times down there. I mean, the guy had a tough while shadowing quite often in Carolina. Now he goes to a much easier, relatively speaking, situation uh, in this division. So I do like Bradbury, uh, but otherwise it's unproven. I mean, DeAndre Baker struggled as a rookie. He, he does have a lot of pedigree. Maybe he makes a second-year leap. That wouldn't be uncommon. And then after that, major question marks. Is Sam Beal going to win a job there? Is uh, the, the fourth-rounder Holmes, is he going to lock down slot duties? Is he going to be effective? We don't know. So that's right. a, a major question area. Um, I do like the future at safety. Uh, you know, again, a lot of people think there, there's always positions where fa- every fan base thinks I'm too low on their team, and it's just because the position is strong across the NFL. So relatively speaking, they're, they're not great. But uh, – uh, yeah, Peppers and McKinney could be a very, very, very good one-two punch in that position. So, like the future, but short-term, I can't just assume McKinney's going to be a star as a second-round rookie. We don't know yet. Uh, so, for now, we'll, we'll see how that kind of plays out. But I do like the future of that position. Yeah, really, when you look at this Giants team and you look at the defense, they have a lot of guys that fall into that category like McKinney, right? Good pedigree. You, uh, you hope he's a good player. But we kind of need to see it. So, so they're going to need some of these guys to really step up into that next level in order to be a, a good or decent defense, right? There's McKinney. There's even Jabril Peppers, who we know is a, a, a quality player, but how, you know, is he anything more than that? We still don't know. You have DeAndre Baker, who had a bad rookie year. You have, uh, Lorenzo Carter. You have all these guys that, you know, even Dexter Lawrence, a good, good solid rookie year, but are any of them going to make that jump to become, you know, a, a top end player? And as far as you're projecting, I don't think I really see that. I mean, am am I, am I looking at this correctly? 
Well, I mean, in terms of there's a difference between the the numbers and the projections and the ratings, right? So I'm going to be conservative with the ratings. I'm going to I'm going to look at you know I'm going to consider ceiling. So I'm going to okay. give McKinney, McKinney a bump for pedigree, but I'm also going to consider the fact that maybe he's not good. You know, half of these right. guys are in it's the possible. Are in the first couple of rounds are going to be bust. So you have to weigh both sides. So that's how I kind of uh, play through that. But in terms of projections, I mean, I'm assuming McKinney wins that job as of right now. I've been playing 908 snaps, for racking sure. up 82 tackles, right? Like I think he's going to be a, a big uh, a big player for this defense for sure. In fact, among rookies, I think he's probably the guy I have playing the most this season on, on the defensive side of the ball. Obviously, we have Andrew Thomas pegged in at left tackle. But uh, I, I do think McKinney plays a big role now. With, with off-season activities, not being there, maybe he starts off the bench and, and Julian Love, who I think was the original plan there opposite Peppers, maybe he starts out. Uh, they, they brought in Hartage from uh, Miami as well. So they have other bodies that could perhaps soak up some snaps, but just a matter of time before they get him on the field. Yeah, I would be surprised if Xavier McKinney did not win a starting spot because, look, they're, they have Andrew Thomas, obviously. They, they're getting a starter out of that spot. Their third-round pick was at the very end of the third round, and Matt Parrott, you know, so he's more of a developmental tackle out of UConn. He's probably not going to play at all this year. So you really kind of need more than one guy, especially a team where they are, to have more than one starter as a rookie. So they're, they're, I'm, I'd bank on Xavier McKinney starting for sure. So we know that you have the Giants, right? <clears throat> they're in that NFL rank 25th with that wins projection. Uh, strength of schedule, tough. You see them as being, uh, Let's see, yards rushing, middle of the pack, uh, yards passing, 22nd. So little around average offensive team, defensive team, not very good as we went by these, those unit grades. How does this stack up against the rest of the NFC East? Like what, what have you, what did you come up with when you ran the projections for Eagles, Cowboys and Redskins? Well, I'll be honest. Well, first of all, I grew up as an Eagles fan, so I like to be clear that there's no biases here. But, uh, you know, I, I actually like what the Cowboys have done. You know, I think on paper they are one of the better teams. Not You're only going to get yourself in trouble if you say that anyway, you know. Yeah, right? I, I know I am. But I'm trying to be clear that this is not my, uh, you know, my, my Cowboys fan goggles here. I'm actually – this hurts a little bit when I stop and, and sit back and, and go back to my – Days well, blame it on the computer. Blame it on the computer. You you just throw in the numbers. <laughs> the computer comes out with the results. It's not your fault. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, look, there's some subjectivity to uh, my unit grades where I'm sitting down, and I'm don't be you know don't get me wrong. I'm using a lot of measurements and analytics and uh, and and that kind of thing. But I'm also uh, just using common sense and and going position by position and ra- ranking uh, rating these teams. And the Cowboys come in as one of the best teams in the NFL on paper. Uh, it's hard to find a lot of weak spots despite some off-season losses. They also made some some gainers at some key spots. So Was that the uh, same thing last year though? Uh not as high. I was I yeah. definitely had the Eagles ahead of Dallas last year. I thought they were the better team on paper. That didn't look very good for a long time, but they managed to come back. Uh this year I do think this is certainly the highest I I think I've ever rated the Cowboys since I've been doing this. So Interesting. Um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting for sure. Why? What is it about the Cowboys that's better? That's significantly better. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we know that he got great quarterback play last season, right? right. Uh, I know it trailed off late in the season, but Dak overall had a great season. He threw for right around 5,000 yards. I mean, he, he had a good breakout year. Uh, they have Zeke in the backfield. They added CeeDee Lamb to one of the best trios at wide receiver in the NFL. The offensive line, even without Travis Frederick, is stacked uh, across the board. So, uh, like that situation, tight end's a weak spot, but uh, we'll see. It, Blake Jarwin actually might be a decent find there. And then, 
on the defensive side of the ball. Especially if he could play against the Giants. I mean, he, he has something like 80% of his career touchdown catches. Are yeah, that's Giants. right. Yeah, that was like week 17, right? He had the three he, touchdowns a couple of years ago. Yeah, He I did, he did. Yeah, so he'll get a can't, shot. Can't to, stop Blake Jarwin. <laughs> Apparently not. Um, <laughs> so they, they do that. And then two spots I've been kind of hard on Dallas in recent years is interior defensive line. I had them ranked 32nd out of 32 teams in that department last year. So what they do, they go out and they sign Gerald McCoy, one of the best defensive tackles in the league over the past decade. They get a healthy Tyrone Crawford back. They bring in Don Terry Poe to stuff the run. You have Demarcus Lawrence on the edge, Jalen Smith, Leighton Vander, Sean Lee. Uh, you know, they, they signed Haha Clinton Dix, who's an underrated safety to go as Xavier Woods at safety. Uh, they did lose Byron Jones, which worries me a little bit. Cornerback's not as good as it's been, but they did uh, bring in some talent there. Daryl Worley, Tron Diggs, they drafted in round two. They drafted a uh, fourth rounder as well. So, um, I think the defense is a little above average. I think the offense is well above average, and you add that together, and I think they're the best team in the division. So that's that's the case for for Dallas anyway. Hmm. And uh, so, what about the bottom of the division? Where how do how do the Giants stack up with the Redskins at this point? What do, I'm, I'm curious because you think the, the the Cowboys are the best team in the division projection wise. Eagles still pretty good, which is kind of what we know, right? Those two yeah. teams are a step class above the, the Giants and and the uh, Redskins. So. Where, but where do the Redskins come in at this point with, with the moves that they've made? Yeah. So I have Dallas at 10 and six, the Eagles nine and seven, as mentioned, the Giants in that six to seven win range. The Redskins I have as a candidate to pick first overall in next year's draft. Uh, I'm just not buying it yet. Uh, four and 12 is the record right now. Maybe the worst team in the league on paper. And, uh, look, do they have their weapons? Players? Their weapons are bad. I mean, I was thinking about exactly. it the other day. Their, their weapons are bad. Yeah. And, and look, they Best have a sport. lot of youth. Yeah, a, a lot of youth here. I mean, it, I, this could look really dumb if a lot of these guys make a leap. And it happens every year, right? Like, I was too low in the Niners last year because who saw that coming? I mean, they had right. a ton of pedigree. We knew that. We said it all off season, but it all came together for them. And maybe that happens for the Redskins. Maybe Dwayne Haskins is legit uh, this season. Maybe he makes that leap forward and, and carries this team. They have a lot of talent at running back with Geis and Love, and they draft Gibson. They have McLaurin and Gandy Golden and Sims at receiver. Maybe they make a leap. They don't really have much at tight end. They traded Trent Williams, so offensive line is a, is a big problem area. And then the big key really is going to be up front defensively, right? That's where the pedigree is with yes. uh, Payne and Allen and Chase Young, who they drafted, and Sweat and Kerrigan. That could be a, a, a an extremely disruptive defensive line, but we haven't seen it yet, right? They, these guys, this, these first-round picks haven't really shown it or had a chance to with Young, of course. If they, that comes together, though, that could be a very good group. And then behind them, a ton of question marks at – Corner, safety behind Landon Collins, linebacker, you, you know, you have guys like John Bostic and, and Thomas Davis scheduled to play huge roles. Who knows if Ruben Foster will do much? I mean, uh, I'm, I have some big concerns behind that defensive line. And then obviously you, you don't know what you're going to get from the offense with all the, the youth and the question marks there. So I, I just – I don't see it from the Redskins. A lot has to come together for them in Ron Rivera's first year. Yeah, so we know the Redskins, they're, so they're, they're in the group probably even below the Giants. Right now, I guess so they're oh, yeah. way towards the back. Who is which teams in the NFC are towards the top? I mean, just give me two or three quick ones of the teams. I assume the Saints very high. Oh yeah, yeah. Forty Niners, I'm yep. guessing, are still pretty high. Yeah, I, Saints and Forty Niners are one two. I have Dallas with the three seed right now. The Packers and okay. uh, you know what? I think the NFC North is wide open. Uh, Packers, Vikings, and even the Lions, dare I say. That's a, I a know. The Lions don't probably. have a bad collection of talent. Yes, it is a decent group. It's an average roster. They have a shot to compete there, so to keep an eye on them. And then 
Uh, you know, the Seahawks and, and Eagles are the usual suspects, but the Buccaneers, I think, are legit. And it's not just Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski. You know, they uh, the offensive line's okay. They have other secondary weapons that are pretty good. Obviously, Mike Evans is there and Chris Godwin. We know that. They added Keyshawn Bond with Ronald Jones at running back. But the key is the defense, which quietly was very good in the final month last season. Yeah. Their youth really started to come around. And, you know, not even – Todd Bowles run defense. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. And, I mean, they have Yuri Levante Davids and Sues and uh, Shaq Barrett's and JPPs, who obviously Giants fans are familiar with. They have those guys. But they also have an unbelievable amount of players picked on – drafted on on days one and two over the last two or three seasons. So you're uh, Vita Vea. Uh, Devin White, uh, pretty much all of their cornerbacks, Davis, Murphy, Bunning, Dean, and Stewart, their top four are all day two picks in, since 2018. Right. Antoine Winfield this year, Justin Evans a couple of years ago. I mean, if that group kind of comes together, it's already decent. If that group, those youth uh, kind of work their way together, the Bucks could be in a powerhouse this year. So I uh, really like that that situation as well. Well, the Giants will get a look at that Tampa Bay team in week Eight on a Monday night. Ooh. And then the week, uh, that's a week after they play. First they play a Thursday nighter against the Eagles. Then they have the 10 days until that Monday nighter against the Bucks. So that'll be a very tough stretch for the Giants because that, that Thursday night game is at, out Philadelphia. Ooh. Yeah. Well, at Philadelphia yeah, and then you get a home Monday night game with the whole nation watching against what you consider a very tough Bucks team. That'll be an interesting stretch for the Giants. Uh, Mike, I appreciate it. Tell everyone where they can catch your stuff. Uh, give out your, your Twitter handle or, or whatever your preferred platform is. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, at Mike Clay NFL on Twitter. And of course, all my contents is where Jordan's is over at ESPN.com. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, uh, they pay the paycheck. So we got to, you know, feed, <laughs> feed the beast. Of course, ESPN. That's where you should go for all your content. ESPN, ESPN.com. Mike Clay, thank you very much. Appreciate it, man. Uh, always fun. Take care. On to the next one. Yeah, that was a very informative segment right there with Mike Clay. I mean, that he, I really respect people who put in the time because if you think about it, the time and effort that has to go to make a formula and to put in all input all this data and have it churn churn through the numbers and come out with projections for thirty two teams. 32 quarterbacks, you're talking about hundreds of receivers, thousands of players. I mean, it's not It's not just, you know, you, you, you wake up, you throw the numbers in, and they come and they churn them out. No, this, Mike Clay is putting in his time to come up with these projections and putting in a lot of time, thought, taking a, an algorithm and altering it consistently, knowing what he knows and watching what he sees and – I really enjoy that exercise of looking at projections for guys and players and really seeing where they come in and where they, where they sit amongst their peers. So we thank Mike Clay for that. That was, that was an awesome segment. Now I'll give you a little Jordan on the beat to give you an idea of what it's really like these days to sit here and operate as a reporter is you're sitting there on your computer. I have a little office, uh, next to me is my, you know, in the same room as a desk as my wife. Her desk in our office. I have my bookshelf set up across from me where that's where we do the, you know, I do television hits and uh, live videos and tape videos, whatever. So I'm sitting there on the conference call with Daniel Jones and 
Saquon Barkley and staring at my bobbleheads across the way. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And I'm like, you know what? Let me put the bobblehead. I, w- I was thinking I had to go to the bathroom. That was how the original idea came up. So I have to go to the bathroom. And because I got to go to the bathroom, I'm like, do I really just leave in the middle of the Zoom call and either shut off the video or leave an empty chair? Now, in the end, I held it in. But so, uh, but one of the options I was thinking of, do I, should I just like talking to Daniel? Should I leave like a Daniel Jones bobblehead in my spot so that, and, and I could just go to the bathroom and I'll come back in like a minute or two. Then I, then I miss partly what he, what he says. And so in the end, I got the Daniel Jones bobblehead on my desk. I'm ready, ready to ask a question. So I decide, you know what? I'm going to put the bobblehead on camera. You know, start asking the question as if the question is coming from Daniel Jones, the bobblehead himself. Cause you know what? Gotta have fun. We're stuck in the house. I'm reaching, you know, my boiling point at times. And I know in the big picture, my problems are super small compared to some other people out there, but it's stressful being at home. It's, it's stressful being at home with your family and everyone on top of each other. And my wife and I are both trying to work. I have a, an eight month old who requires 24 seven, uh, 24 seven eyes on him. I mean, you, you can't leave him. He's crawling all over the place, grabbing everything, taking every plug and going after it. So he needs your, Full 24-7 attention. I got a, a nine-year-old who's a soon-to-be nine-year-old who also needs a ton of attention, who's trying to do school. We have to help her with schoolwork. You got to have some fun. So my way of having fun during these press conferences was I put the Daniel Jones bobblehead in front and started asking the question as if it was from Daniel Jones' bobblehead. Now, I wasn't about to do any uh, voices or anything, but he got he got the point. Got a little chuckle out of him. So that is my form of entertainment these days. That's where we're at. That's where I'm at. I'm looking for bobbleheads as a form of entertainment. It's pretty sad. It is. My life right now is pretty sad. I also think about it as if I'm single, right? Let's say I don't have kids and I'm single and I'm 25 years old and I'm quarantined and I'm home and I'm working. I have a ton of free time on my hands. I mean, you could do so much self-improvement, reading, uh, binge watching Netflix, whatever you want. I mean, you must have so much free time. I envy you for that. If you're in that category, I really do. I envy you for that. All right. That's the end of this episode of Breaking Big Blue. We'll do another one coming soon because I want to make sure I answer a bunch of your questions with the Giants after dark. But remember, you could always reach out to me, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email, wherever you could get a hold of me. I'll try and answer your questions. I always do. And, As always, tell your friends. We're available on all podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, the ESPN app, iHeartRadio, you name it, it's there. Breaking Big Blue, tell your friends, rate us, give us a good rating, give us some feedback. I'll take all feedback, positive and negative. And guess what? See you back here next time. I'm Jordan Ronan. See ya.